strategy and insider, exploring future trends and their impacts. Welcome to another episode of our Strategy and Insider podcast. Today we're having our 11th recording and we're still in a remote setting since COVID-19 still doesn't allow for too many meetings and yeah, we don't want to push our luck too early. And many of you have already tuned into our recordings with various experts from the healthcare industry. And yeah, again, thank you from our ends for your continuous support. And obviously, um, to stay in the loop about new episodes, any further information, we'd be happy if you follow our hashtag strategy and insight on LinkedIn or subscribe at one of the platforms, be it Apple, Spotify or Deezer. Um, as said, welcome to another episode. I'm Thomas. I'm the host of this podcast and a partner at the strategy consulting firm Strategy App. And today we find ourselves in a slightly new setting since I, for the first time, have invited not only one, but two guests who have dialed in from beautiful Berlin, talking about Julia Hagen and Dr. Henrik Mattis, who both work at the Health Innovation Hub, which is Germany's Federal Ministry of Health digital hub. And Henrik himself there is the managing director of the HIH and Julia's role is the director of regulatory and politics. Henrik himself is a serial entrepreneur from Berlin, also known as the founder of Mini, which is one of the first digital medical products in Germany and that offers digital hearing tests as well as digital hearing protection. Before that, um, Henrik did his doctorate at the University of Aachen, where he was approached by fellow students about founding um, one of his earlier um, companies, uh, rather communication app Jodl. Julia herself studied public management and governance both in Germany and in France and completed her Master's of Public Administration Uh, both in Paris as well as the London School of Economics. And she started actually working in digital health in the context of healthcare in rural areas where telemedicine and connected health are a significant part of the health solution in those places. The HIH, which is the short form of the Health Innovation Hub, is um, basically a think tank and sparing partner to the Federal Ministry of Health, as well as to all other national healthcare institutions in Germany, focusing on the current digitization of the entire healthcare system of Germany to the benefit of the patient ultimately. Their main topics um, are really fascinating things such as the electronic patient record, digitization in nursing, AI applications, uh, but also the donation of medical data and, and many, many more. And I'm sure during our session today, we'll touch upon many of those. And while the HIH serves as um, a sparing partner, as well as an implementation supporter, both for stakeholders as well as for innovators, they have often been referred as kind of the truffle hawks for, for outstanding ideas in the market. And um, yeah, with that said, um, it's with great honor and appreciation that I can welcome both Julia and Hendrik to today's episode. Big thanks from my end for taking the time today. So starting with you, Hendrik, um, I learned that in your earlier career, you have developed yourself digital health products as well as applications, but which you pioneered at the time digital prevention in Germany. 
first question is around what is your motivation for being an entrepreneur, but going then into health solutions and developing your own solution at the time? I started in the entrepreneurial field to have an impact on how we live, what we do. And after a couple of uh, ventures in other fields, I discovered digital health for myself because It is, in my views, the most rewarding area to, to work in. Mm -hmm. You not only have a direct impact on the health and actually life of, of your users, but as health care overall is, is or used to be such a undigitized um, sector, your impact, your leverage is really huge. And I started Digital Health back in 2014, where we literally had nothing digitized in the German healthcare sector. So any brick that we built back then was kind of a fundamental or basic for what we have right now. And I couldn't understand back then how it arose that our entire world in the 21st century is already digitized, no matter if we talk around e-commerce, travel, uh, transportation, but health hasn't been at all. So um, for me, this was kind of the greatest challenge to conquer, to start also digitizing this area of our life. And, and Henrik, thanks for shedding some light there. And, and it's impressive how early you started digitizing healthcare at the time. If you compare back then with now and with the future to come on a scale, let's say from zero to 10, and in the past we had zero, where do you think currently we're standing uh, at this stage? So between 2014 and let's say 2018, we very much remained on a zero, I have to admit. Um, there were some slow improvements, but really in, in niches, heavily underfunded, no public attention whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But since 2018, we really jump-started to at least, I would say, a three or even a four, okay. given that the German Ministry of Health has passed nearly every month a law that is step-by-step -step digitizing the German healthcare sector. It is not a question anymore if we should digitize, but every uh, stakeholder of the system has understood that now we need to speak about how exactly. Um, so the sense of urgency is clearly there. The benefits are more and more visible. We will probably speak about COVID-19 later on as yeah. well. So we are really getting to a point where timing is on our side, momentum is on our side, and more and more stakeholders realize uh, they have to jump on this leaving train. Cool. And thanks for, for kind of shedding also light on the scale of our digitization and healthcare for the time being and, and also probably discussing later on how to get to even greater numbers in, in the years to come. But before we do that, Julia, also very warm welcome to you and um, shedding some light on your past. In your last job, you were responsible for the health and pharma division of the digital business association called Bitcom. And this is also where The two of us got to know each other for the first time. And, and during that, your main focus one was on contributing to a regulatory framework for digital health in Germany and also negotiating feasible concepts um, to make that a reality. What for you at that time was most rewarding, and um, especially when bringing concepts to life and also probably what was most frustrating in that? Thank you, Thomas, and thank you for, for having us uh, today. Uh, so I think the, the, the past years, especially when you look at the development of digital health from a business perspective, it has 
of course been a pretty frustrating time as, as Henrik just said we were pretty much um, the beginning of, of things and many topics that we are working on today be it the e-prescription or the personal electronic patient record they've been around for years but not much has happened in the past years so um, I think why was it still very rewarding to work on these topics well it's it's a bit like Henrik said it's it's about the impact it's a field where technology can fundamentally contribute to saving lives and saving lives via very basic applications. For example, making medication data available to all healthcare professionals involved in, in caring for, for a patient that can save patients from fatal interaction and medication. And I think that's something that is great to work on and um, it's a very purpose-driven sector, I think. At the same time, well, frustrating, as I said, the fact that we have taken so much time to finally make progress but we're here now things are happening many things at the same time it might be somehow overwhelming for some of the stakeholders in the system mm -hmm. but there's no way back and that's good news also i think what's sometimes frustrating is to realize again and again that it's really hard to align interests in the german healthcare system because of course not only payers and providers have inherent conflicts of interest, but also other actors, be it physicians, physiotherapists or, or other healthcare professionals, they do not necessarily have an interest in collaborating. That sometimes makes it pretty frustrating to see that you could move forward with developments and solutions that could be for the benefit of the patient, but sometimes the interests of some groups in the healthcare system just stop these kind of projects. And I'm, uh, I'm totally getting the impact because also small things that you're contributing to further digitize um, the healthcare system uh, can bring quality of life or medical outcomes or drive at least down costs in the system. And, and that in itself is already a, a big contribution to healthcare. You touched upon the conflicts of interest and curious to see how you overcome those because the HIH um, also related to the work that my team and I are doing ourselves, I see that as kind of a clue between different stakeholders with having differently located interests and ways of working and, and speed of working and what have you. What's the recipe of overcoming those and bridging different stakeholders together for the HIH? How do you do that, basically? Well, it's one advantage we have as Health Innovation Hub is that we have neither past nor future. Mm -hmm. So we are a temporary project. So everyone is very, very happy to talk to us. And people feel, or organizations, entities in the healthcare sector feel that they can trust us and that we work in their very interest, in the interest of patients and the improvement of the mm -hmm. healthcare system as such. So that actually puts us in a perfect position to negotiate and to bring those stakeholders together around a table and our table tennis table in the office and get them to abandon some of their typical lobby positions um, that, yeah. that sometimes works. That feels like magic. Okay, so, so what I'm hearing is bringing it back to the interest of the patient and society more broadly uh, and also being in, in a somewhat neutral position to maneuver uh, the different conflicts of interest um, between stakeholders. Uh? Yes, definitely. 
Great. We moved from a zero to somewhat in the range of three to four um, with digital health solutions on the market already. I'm, I'm curious to see to what extent uh, yourself, uh, you are walking the talk, so to say. Uh, what are the, the health apps that, that you're using yourself? And uh, I'm, I'm critical with myself. I'm only using the Apple Watch with regard to activity tracking and um, whether I'm standing up enough throughout the day. I'm, I'm also here and there checking out symptom checkers and, and lately also using the Corona warning app, of course. What are the health solutions that you're using yourself? I would say that my pattern is pretty equal as you just outlined. Um, my wife is pregnant, so we try to have the 10,000 steps every day, actually. So the activity track is definitely something that I Very almost good. use daily. <laughs> um, and then, of course, the Corona Warning app. The symptom tracker is something that I discovered over the course of the past two years as very helpful, not just for me, but also for any relative family mm -hmm. member or friend. I actually know one of my closer friends probably survived because his by then girlfriend, nowadays wife, did not uh, accept that a leading university clinic just refused to probably check her boyfriend back then used a symptom checker realized okay this is probably something super serious we need direct mm -hmm. uh, medical action and because of the symptom checker result they convinced the university clinic to finally take action so this is for me a quite striking example yeah. that um, digital health can have a significant benefit already today but i'm even more excited As soon as we have the Diga Fast Track out, what other digital health applications come to the market, which then for the first time have a proper business model until now they cannot sustainably live from what they do, but from then on they will. And really excited to see how those solutions become part of our everyday life. Great. Thanks, Henrik. Uh, is that also true for you, Julia, uh, how you use the, the digital health solutions or do you display a different pattern here? Well, I think it's pretty much the same pattern. So yes, I'm very much a fan of, of tracking, tracking myself and checking the data. I'm also using one of those sort of symptom monitoring application because I got an issue with migraine and I feel it's very helpful to better understand your personal condition and actually mm -hmm. then to explain to your physician what are the factors that determine your migraine and what are the helpful strategies. So yes, we I think I got some personal experience, which is of course very limited because I could be in much worse condition than migraine from time to time. But it's helpful. Sure. Cool. Um, and um, probably uh, one app that um, hopefully um, soon everyone, at least in, in the German-speaking area, is using is the Corona Warning app, which is a concrete example of a digital solution that in the crisis of the COVID-19 happenings was developed and still a fast track. And we now finally have that in, in the market for a couple of weeks by now. And having uh, north of 16 million people who have downloaded it. And we ourselves, a strategy and together with PwC, uh, we also have our own Corona Manager, which is already used by several companies as an internal app um, for their employees. And, and me personally, I believe that these implications are instrumental to containing the further spread and to understand the further spread of the virus. In a recent blog, um, you posted that you, you claim that, and here I'm quoting, while Germany has never been known for being a leader in digitization, that the recent launch of the crowd-based um, infection monitoring app shows quite the opposite. Can you somehow elaborate on uh, how uh, COVID-19 may have been 
the silver lining for our healthcare system. Yes, well, I think what we have seen not only in healthcare, is an impressive uptake in digital technologies during the pandemic. Literally everyone started using video conferencing tools. It's become a standard, even in a business world where it would have been totally accepted to travel from Berlin to Frankfurt or Cologne for a two-hours meeting. And That also applies to the healthcare sector. So physicians started using video consultation to interact with their patients, even though they were very hesitant about that prior to COVID-19, but there was no other alternative and they really wanted to reduce the risk of, um, of an infection for their patients and other fellow patients and their staff and themselves, of course. The example the quote is referring to is the so-called data donation app that the Federal Public Health Institute, the Robert Koch Institute, launched together with a Berlin-based startup. For us, that was very impressive. We accompanied um, the team at the Robert Koch Institute and the startup in this process. And it's a premiere to see that such a federal institute uses an app based on data from wearables from individual people living throughout Germany. And these people would voluntarily donate or share their data from their wearables mm -hmm. with the Robert Koch Institute to actually detect early signs of an infection in different regions throughout Germany. And so that the experts at the Robert Koch Institute can sort of develop a huge uh, fever detection tool based on data from wearables um, for Germany. Very interesting project because the Robert Koch Institute, even though it's working on public health and has is very much looking at the population and then sort of large groups and how they are doing, they have never never worked with such an approach mm -hmm. in the past. So it's it's a premiere and we really hope that this will only be the beginning of new approaches in the work of, um, of public authorities as well. And the project itself, of course, is also very interesting content-wise. Uh, we've seen some promising results that have been published recently, but I think the sign to see that um, a startup and a federal public institute can collaborate can come up with a huge crowd-based research project. More than 500,000 people in Germany are participating. That's something um, that's really cool and shows all the people in charge at the um, Federal Institute that technologies give them access to data and kind of information they wouldn't have otherwise. No one ever had that kind of data in Germany. So it's super interesting. And I think in the end, For, for that application, but also for the video consultation or many other, many other examples of digital health solutions that have seen an uptake during the pandemic. It's all about experiencing a benefit for your personal experience or your experience as a patient. And once, once you were able to experience this benefit, maybe because you didn't have any other choice, then you actually in the future, will be more likely to adopt new technologies and you will be more open to new solutions. And that's something we really hope that this will um, be the case for the healthcare system as such. And that sort of the silver lining may be that the healthcare system is a tiny bit more open to new technologies um, and to mm. adopting them. And I think one of the benefits of the of the COVID-19 crisis is in that area where, where we have seen that things that that were unthinkable in the past. Yeah, we were pressured into using um, VC consultation um, tools and, and similar things. And um, yeah, all of a sudden we learned it is possible. Uh, now the question is, once uh, we hopefully in, uh, are in a position to have the crisis more under control in the months and years to come, uh, what will stay from this uh, period of acute uh, pressure of yeah, rethinking and redoing things? 
And I'm very curious to get um, further glimpse into, let's say, the machine room of Germany's Ministry of Health, as, as you are kind of the the digital forge in Germany, we would call it Digitalschmiede of Jens Spahn himself. And um, you, you were mentioning already that uh, almost on a monthly basis, we're seeing new laws coming into action. How do you interact with himself? Is he dropping in ideas personally into the work you do? Um, uh, what's that like? If you, if you can share some of the insights there, please. Yes, of course. I'm happy to do that. Well, of course, we are not meeting with Jens Spahn for breakfast every day. Um, <laughs> I, I he, guess that so. would be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that that we would we would love to, but we understand that he has a pretty busy schedule. Um, I can imagine these, yeah. at least these past months. And mm. in the end, um, he's at the head of a ministry um, with experts for the very various uh, topics. And the ministry has a way it, it it works from sort of the bottom up to the top. So um, mm -hmm. we do we do interact with all those different levels of the ministry basically on a, on a daily basis and then it really comes to the issues and the topics we are working on so if you take for example the development of a potential reform of one aspect of healthcare with regard to digital technologies mm -hmm. or adapt changes in the regulatory framework for a specific aspect of digital health, then, and that's the real tough work, um, then we actually get to discuss these topics with the departments in charge and with the experts in the health ministry. And then sort of the discussion takes place at all kind of different levels. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it really depends on, um, on the topic we're working on. But we do not only interact with the Ministry of Health, we also work with all those other stakeholders in the healthcare sphere. So the physicians, hospitals, patients, caregivers, and their respective organizations, manufacturers, and health insurances. Because, well, as I said, it's, well, as, well, as you said, we are in this neutral position, and it's very important to in order for proposals to be feasible and uh, to actually get them to be accepted by everyone to early on um, get some of the relevant stakeholders on board. And that's also something we are doing. And can you share some further insights around that intermediary position that you are taking as the HIH between the different stakeholders? Um, and you early on talked about the, the potential conflicts of interest there, even from various players. How has that been pre but also during COVID and, and how do you think this will evolve after after the acute crisis? So maybe first of all, as Julia already put it, we don't have any history nor do we have a future. Um, we already dissolve in 18 months. So the beauty of us as a kind of sparing partner to any of those um, healthcare institutions on a national level is mm -hmm. that No one can force them to work with us. No one is required to even include us into their thoughts or whatsoever. But what we see is an increasing number of institutions to actively do that. Um, so there's not a major digitization project in healthcare at the moment where we are not from very early on included. And this hasn't changed much during COVID-19. But what has significantly changed in that period is that the sense of urgency has significantly increased Also, and this is untypical for Germany, a, I would call it, can-do attitude. Mm -hmm. So nowadays, the Federal Association of um, Doctors is also proclaiming that we should start to try out things. That is a, looking back at the past decades of um, the German healthcare system, a very un-German view and perspective <laughs> on change. Uh, because Prior to that, it was always that you have to have a 100% correct plan, thought about every edge case, included every stakeholder from the very beginning. 
resulting in nothing did change because in order to get such a process really rolling, you need years and years. And by the time you have a result, the reality has already surpassed you by several years. So instead of that, and COVID-19 had been catalyst for that, mm -hmm. are we seeing now a can-do attitude across all institutions? Take the emergency register, which the German hospitals put into place within two weeks. So they had a project for almost four years where they were even required to list all their emergency beds and mm -hmm. uh, similar KPIs. And it never got rolling because there was no real urgency on that and it was additional manual effort. So everyone tried to postpone it, which worked perfectly prior to COVID-19. Now we have it. Now we see all the benefits. And I'm sure that we will continue to have this and many other achievements that we built in the past couple of weeks um, because people realize technology can significantly improve my daily life, my daily work in the healthcare sector, um, policymakers for sure, but also down to the hospital level when they see that the neighboring hospital may have two additional emergency beds free for intensive care. And this level of transparency was non-existent before. Yeah. No, thanks um, for that. And I uh, totally see the benefits there. And you also touched upon your personal kind of drivers, uh, why you, you basically work in healthcare is around the impact uh, that you can have on a patient's lives. And at the same time, there are restrictive aspects uh, when we talk about digitizing medicine and digitizing healthcare, such as data protection and the like. And how do you deal with that? What's your perspective on, on data protection and any other restrictions that you are seeing? in the market given your position as the HIH? So first of all, I'm very happy that we have a vivid data protection discussion here in Germany um, because honestly, I don't want to live in China. I don't want to live in a system where all my very personal data is up to either the state control like in China mm -hmm. or to the company level like we have in, in the United States. I'm mm -hmm. On that end, very happy that we have, um, and I wouldn't call them too much restriction, but just conditions that we agree on based on our value set that, for example, health data has to be private and it's on the individual person mm -hmm. to decide whether or not it's, it shall be used from third parties. Still, the level of data privacy administration And regulation that we have in Germany is not always a booster <laughs> of change and of digital health. Interestingly, the GDPR is a European-wide legislation, which is completely different interpreted in Germany than, for example, in Finland. Mm -hmm. In Finland, under the same GDPR regulation, it's decided on a government level that all health data is free for research for the greater good. Mm -hmm. Because anyone is benefiting from the statutory health insurance system. Mm -hmm. So everyone has to also contribute to some extent to the further advancement. That is completely unthinkable at the moment in Germany. But it shows us it's not just the law that sets certain restrictions or conditions. It's how we interpret it. And on that end, I'm very happy that step by step, we get also some change here in Germany that, for example, data privacy concerns are not seen as kind of the trump card to any discussion level. 
Mm -hmm. but that you have to really balance that one out with, for example, the individual's patient uh, health and recovery chances. And on the other hand, that we now have a system in place which is more open towards research, towards the use of health data, um, something that we have been struggling with for the past decade at least. And now we are getting to a point where it's more and more accepted that we actually make use of that data, not just shield it away from anyone for any purpose. And he will, obviously, that's a very nice lead over also to the electronic patient record that will be available 1st of January 2021, where diagnosis, vaccination status, therapy documentation over time will be uh, stored uh, as an electronic patient record in the German market where uh, USA uh, citizen can grant access to HCPs and dentists, psychotherapists or, or, or the pharmacist uh, to get access to. Probably talking about that for a little, um, I know personally that, that it is of very difficult uh, to keep data at the right quality level and interoperable, um, especially when they are coming from different sources. How is that handled? Can you share some insights there? Yeah, sure. Interoperability is um, is key to successful digital health, especially in Germany, where we will always have a, a rather fragmented um, system and not a huge unified national system because it's just not a public national health insurance system. Mm -hmm. So what has been doing is that the umbrella organization of the physicians, mm -hmm. they have been in charge now for a couple of months with the definition of some of the information objects that are going to be a part of the uh, personal electronic uh, patient record. And they've just finalized the first one, which is the, mm -hmm. the vaccination status uh, document. And what they are doing, and that's another novelty, is they are building on international standards. Probably, um, Henrik, you, you mentioned beforehand that um, these type of data, uh, not only but also propelled through the electronic patient record, is more and more accessible by researchers. I've come across uh, yeah, around discussions around the EPA that um, different uh, stakeholders from the system do have already access or will get access uh, to the data, uh, while others, especially the industry, is for the time being excluded from access there. Is that eventually changing over time? Because I can imagine if you want to scale something um, in, in research, if you want to bring that into kind of the routine usage, uh, at some point you would need the industry to scale it and, and, and propel it. What's your, what's your perspective on that? So, to be honest, I'm happy that we have here a step-by-step -step process. Um, mm -hmm. It would be simply not possible politically to accept if we would directly try to go from one to 100. I am very happy that we have this first step, that for the first time, digitally um, served data can be accessed for research purposes on a national level. Mm -hmm. That is a major change to what we have been fighting for in the past really decade. And first, society needs to get used to this new status quo. Mm -hmm. We need also a society discussion on broad consent, in my opinion. At the moment, I as a patient, in many cases when I'm in an emergency situation, if I want to um, grant access to my health data, yes or no. Mm -hmm. And in my personal opinion, a citizen, a healthy citizen, when he or she has proper time to think about this topic, should do so 
in broader terms, um, not limited just to one healthcare data and one specific research, but in general, do I want to grant access to, for example, university research? Do I want to grant access to industry or pharma? To what extent shall my data be used and so on? This is a discussion that we need to have first before I see any possibility that a larger proportion of the population is open to granting access outside of university research. And uh, I think it's a very wise approach to have that societal dialogue before doing something that society is not backing, because otherwise you're losing the trust into this, right? Uh, but at the same time, I think it's important to have this dialogue with society and, and yeah, see where we're ending up with, uh, to what extent people are open for, for sharing or not sharing with whom, whomever in the system. Yeah, And, and we also got to be honest, um, we are starting the personal electronic patient record in January 2021. So um, it will probably take a bit of time, maybe a couple of years, until there will be a sufficient amount of data that is then also relevant to research. Right now, researchers, if they want to understand how a certain drug or therapy is working in real life, they have to uh, look at data from maybe Denmark or Sweden because we mm -hmm. just really don't have any data or they have to specifically decide to collect that kind of data, which, of course, then again is costly and uh, yeah. maybe complicated, yeah. Um, I think at the end of the day, it, it does need kind of a, a roundtable approach of discussing exactly this and, and who is contributing what, who is accessing what, for what purpose and what's the use case behind them. There is no doubt that uh, regulation in digital health has jumped a lot in the past. To put that into context, what, what are the next steps that you are seeing for digital health regulation in uh, in the German marketplace? I think there are basically two things that we need to work on for also the remaining time of the existence of the Health Innovation Hub. <laughs> First, that's actually um, to put these things into practice. So it's about time to deliver, to deliver on these, mm -hmm. yeah, these, these concepts and ideas that exist in theory and on, on paper. But then it's not only that. Um, then there's, of course, still a lot of work left also in terms of the regulatory framework. For example, we still haven't done anything about hospitals and about their lack of digital infrastructure. And Germany's recovery package sets aside mm -hmm. roughly 3 billion euros for inter alia digital infrastructure in hospitals. So now um, we really need to do some work on how hospitals can be digitalized mm -hmm. because they are not very digitalized today. And so the key question here is how do we incentivize hospitals to invest into the right digital tools? That will be something we need to work on as well. And I'm seeing kind of a pattern also in our discussion, and I very much like this. Um, I mean, digitization is happening as we speak, right? And, and a lot of things are put into legislation and uh, stakeholders are coming together and developing solutions together. At the same time, when bringing this into the market, it's still somewhat of a stepwise approach because And this is also something that I'm backing. There is little room for failure uh, on the trust level, on data privacy levels, on risk to patient level. And uh, going a step-by-step -step approach to, to go with the least risky solution first and then um, try and experiment further. This is kind of the pattern that I'm seeing and, and reading into the discussion that we're having, right? Right, exactly. And in the past, we tried, as I said, to always have a very German engineering approach to come up with a 100% solution for a complex problem. Yeah. This doesn't work in digital. 
we need an agile way, we need iterations. And this is also not only new for the lawmaker, but for any part of the healthcare system, the Federal Association of the Health Insurance, who's used to negotiate kind of once per year with the farmers around uh, critical conditions, will probably sit down with the developers of digital health applications from now on every three months or so. Mm -hmm. The doctors need to update themselves probably on a monthly basis, what new digital health applications come to the market, what different functionalities they have, what impact they have on medical practice, but also health outcomes of the patients and so on. So the speed of adaptation is changing, but we will leave for very good reasons. We need to go there step by step. Yeah. We need to also include all parties of the healthcare system. All this beauty around fast track will never work if, for example, the physicians do not trust the solutions and do not trust that those solutions are to the benefit of the patients. Yeah, and it needs to fit into their daily doing, right? I mean, they would not have the time uh, to update themselves uh, by reading article after article. There needs to be a central platform that makes it easy for them to understand what's new in the market and what's best for the patient that is sitting in front of the doctor, him or herself. Yeah. Exactly. And ideally, it's also integrated not only in the doctor's IT systems, uh, but also in a broader ecosystem, which mm -hmm. is something that we try to achieve with the electronic um, patient record, which is um, soon to launch in Germany, to really have this as a backbone for a digital health ecosystem with international data formats where data can be easily exchanged, for example, between the electronic health record or electronic patient record and a digital health application and the medication the patient is taking and so on. So this shall be the starting point of such an ecosystem, which ideally is then not only working uh, in Germany for Germans, but more on a European level as a role model. What I also learned, uh, probably switching into one other uh, element here from previous discussions in the podcast, is that people do believe that the future of health is uh, a lot around prevention and early diagnosis rather than the sickness management that we had for the last decades. What is your strategy as the HIH and well noting that you are only there for, for the next year and a half or so to bring people in a position where they are rather managing their health and this is the new normal for, for population rather than going to a doctor only if there is something wrong? Anything that you're kind of planning uh, on how you bring people behind, let's say, the steering wheel of their health? We, we totally share this mission. But I would like to challenge the prevention argumentation, saying that this is kind of the backbone of the new digital health. I've worked a couple of years in prevention now, mm -hmm. and the key challenge is to motivate the couch potatoes. Very true. Because as of now, the vast majority of the prevention projects and tools are targeting the broader population. In the end, only the health conscious, the sportive, the active ones participate. So you give money to those who are already on kind of your side. It is super difficult to get into the daily lives and routines of those who are not health conscious, who have above average uh, risk to get sick, who may have already chronic diseases and so on. So this is the challenge I see. How digital health can help us to get in their everyday lives. And one 
tool which we'll probably have and not only because we as HIH or as the German Federal Health Ministry are targeting them, but because industry is consumer technology. Mm-hmm. It is very difficult to change social behavior or uh, like daily routines. And any medtech product so far had been an alien in this daily routine life. Mm-hmm. As soon as you put those solutions on not only your smartphone and your watch, but probably also on your speakers, on your headphones, on all the tech you have any day around your daily life, it's much easier to integrate that into the daily routine and to understand daily routines from a starting point, mm-hmm. um, to understand what's going wrong and then interfere in the right moments, non-intrusive, immersive, and not as a med tech way, but rather as a consumer tech lifestyle approach. Well, I have you here on the phone. Um, of course, we have seen that big jumps all over the place uh, during the last six to 12 months, not only in Germany, but also Europe-wide and uh, internationally. Now, jumping another 10 years ahead, what's your kind of new normal then that you have in mind? And what are kind of the biggest surprises that, that we might have seen in those future scenarios? I do not trust myself to be able to diagnose the future in 10 years. I have my struggles with the next two to three years probably already, but let's say um, 2025. Mm-hmm. What we have done so far is really groundwork. We we are building basic infrastructure to enable data exchange. So this is really at the core of what is needed to drive innovations, but it's the very, very start. What I believe in 2025, the discussion is on, is really on making use of this infrastructure, making use of the digital health ecosystem that we're building and making smarter use of all the data that is generated. Mm -hmm. As Julia said, the electronic patient record is live already January 2021, but it will take some years until we really have structured data that we can analyze on a big data scale. So in 2025, I believe discussions will be around smart use of data, smart use of the infrastructure, integrating health way more into the daily routines of everyday life of any patient, not just the ones who are health conscious. And I hope that in 2025, we will have a significantly more digitized hospital care system so that they can cope with all that challenges that we already see by now with a pandemic like COVID-19. Very good. And probably also handing over the question to Julia. What's your prediction of the future, be it five or 10 years from now? I think I'll try to um, shed some light on a different aspect of that. Um, Let's talk about culture, because I think something that we see right now among the healthcare professionals and also with patients is that the system is undergoing, due to digitalization, a fundamental cultural change. Mm -hmm. With the electronic patient record, we put information in the hands of patients. They are the steering wheel for once. They are not only carrying paper from one physician to another and to the pharmacist and back and forth, but they possibly get all the information about their individual healthcare and they can share it. And that actually means that from a physician's perspective, you're losing your monopoly 
on on these kind of information. Mm-hmm. Usually, you got the patient information in your own IT system, and you you wouldn't really share it. Well, you might write a discharge letter if you have a patient that will leave your hospital, but we get a different situation here. And I think this will be a cultural change that um, healthcare professionals have to deal with. And I think that's something that's very impressive um, if we get uh, to a status close to that by 2025. But I think I'm being a bit optimistic here. I hope we've done a, a bit of the path towards this idea of collaborative healthcare. Hey, what a great ending. And at this stage, again, thanks a lot for a very comprehensive and rich discussion that we had. And most intriguing it was for me to see that a lot of digitization happened already uh, around the corona apps uh, around legislations that have been put in place and processes that, that have been put in place and secondly um, it was quite refreshing to see that that this all happens at the intersect of various stakeholders and that takes kind of a round table approach where you are bringing together different stakeholders and sometimes also with different uh, interest levels but once there is something that that we take as a society more of a step-by-step approach because there is uh, not to make too many mistakes in healthcare and also not to lose uh, crucial uh, stakeholders and uh, take them on board into the the digitized age of healthcare. So yeah, having said that, um, thanks very much for your openness. I do wish you um, that you can uh, keep up the drive and the passion that you're having in making a difference in healthcare. And again, thanks for your time for today. Thank you very much for having us. Many thanks to you. So thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. Uh, Me personally, I found it very interesting and motivating to see how speedily uh, we can have an impact on the future of health. And with that said, I'm already looking forward uh, to the upcoming episodes um, in the weeks to come. But until then, um, stay safe and have a good time. Strategy and strategy made real.